0: So our reading is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then... Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me.
1: So statistically, it's pretty likely uh, that most of you in this room have seen at least one of the Marvel movies. Since 2008, there have been 25 feature films released to cinemas, they have sold $23 billion worth of tickets. That's a lot of people watching a lot of movies, and I'm willing to bet that some of you will be here. Even if you've never seen one, most of you will probably recognize images like this. This is Tony Stark, the Iron Man, the invincible Iron Man. One of, arguably, the most prominent character in the first 10-year arc of those $23 billion grossing movies. And because of that, most of you can probably tell me that this chap's name, the actor, the human being, is Robert Downey Jr. He's the actor. His performances in these movies were what brought him back from obscurity, back from the gutter to being a household name. He's arguably the most prominent and certainly one of the highest paid movie stars in the world today. On the other hand, I couldn't name and I'm willing to bet that most of you couldn't name, anybody who worked on visual effects on any one of those 25 future films. They worked on the same movies. The movies grossed the same amount, but they didn't become famous from what they did. That's because, as a culture, we're obsessed with the star. Two workers on a movie. The star becomes a household name, and the other remains anonymous. Now, it's definitely fair to say that Robert Downey Jr. delivered in his role. And it's fair, too, to say that finding another actor to play Tony Stark as well as he did would be much more difficult than finding a replacement visual effects artist. But... But that doesn't mean that the work the visual effects people do isn't important. Without visual effects, the movies would have looked like this. Robert Downey Jr. can bring all the charisma he wants to the role. But if Iron Man can't fly, if he can't put on the armor, if he can't zap the baddies, well, Tony Stark, man in a t-shirt, is not the backbone of 25 feature films. So these are two completely different contributions with different talents required, but you do need both. And we get fixated on one. And we totally overlook the other. And when you start to think about it, there are loads of examples of that sort of thing. We know the star. We know them. And so on some level, we think that what they do is the only thing that matters. And the rest, well, anyone could do that. It doesn't really matter. Think of a really good band, or if you can't think of one, here's Coldplay. You can name the singer, right? You can probably name his ex-wife. You can maybe name one or two of their children. Can you name any of the other members of the band? And again, yes, of course, being the front man, being the singer, being the face of the band, is a very particular talent. Replacing Chris Martin uh, would be more difficult than replacing whatever the bassist is called. But it doesn't mean that the other three aren't important, right? If they don't show up, if it's just Chris Martin, that's not Coldplay. You're not at a Coldplay gig anymore. It's okay that Chris Martin's more famous, but it doesn't mean that the work done by the others is any less important. You might be able to think of other examples from sports teams. I'm staying away from sports analogies. You might think of examples from your workplace. In every walk of life, We emphasize some people, and we underrate or we ignore the work done by others. That's how we're wired as human beings. The passage we're all thinking about today was written, as we know, by Paul. We would, I think it's fair to say, regard him as the star of the early church, or certainly one of them. As with our other examples, it's not unfair to say that Paul was special. It's not unfair to say that Paul had a very specific job and that he did it very well. He was, let's not forget, chosen specifically by Jesus Christ to take the gospel out of the Holy Land and into the rest of the world. That's important, and that's fine. But Paul is absolutely clear in this passage, throughout his letters, that the work of the early church is not the work of Paul. In fact, Paul's at pains here to emphasize people who are not Paul and to show us how important they are to him, and how important their work is to the spread of the gospel. Paul also leans heavily on the relationships uh, that were illustrated so well earlier. Not just how people relate to Paul, but how they relate to each other. Those deep emotional connections within the early church that built up as people worked together doing gospel work. So there are two points that we're going to dig into there. Uh, The first one is all church work is important. All gospel work is important. Uh, Epaphroditus, not a person that we know very much about. Uh, This passage, and then there's another mention towards the end of the letter, and that's it. That's all we get. So what do we know? Well, verse 25, he's a believer. He's from the early church at Philippi. When that church wanted to support Paul, as we saw earlier, it was Epaphroditus that they sent. Paul was in prison. And at this point in the Roman Empire, they didn't provide food for prisoners. You were just arrested. You were kept under guard. Your family and friends had to provide you with food and clothing and anything else you needed. And if they didn't, well, tough luck. You starve. Paul's a missionary. He moves around from place to place. Of course, he had some network in Rome, but he didn't have lots of local family. So when the Philippians sent Epaphroditus... It says here he was a messenger, but it wasn't just with news. It wasn't just with a word of encouragement. Keep keep your chin up, Paul. You'll be all right. No, they sent him with financial help. They took up the collection that Becca told us about, and that was so that he could eat. That's the reference in, in verse 25 in our passage to taking care of Paul's needs. That's what the church was doing. But Epaphroditus didn't just drop off the money and leave. No, verse 25 says he's also their messenger, but he's a co-worker. He's been working with Paul. Now, we're not told what form that work took, but he's clearly settled into Rome. He's clearly become part of the community of believers there. We'll talk later on about why Paul sent him back to Philippi. But just for now, notice that Paul's feeling the need to tell them that he's sending Epaphroditus back. That suggests quite strongly that they were expecting Epaphroditus to stay longer, or perhaps stay permanently. The main thing that we know about Epaphroditus from this passage is that he took some serious risks for the work that he was doing. He'd gone on the long journey from Philippi to Rome, a a month or so, as, as Becker said, much riskier in those days than just hopping on a flight. Plus, by the way, He's doing it with a big bag of cash. There would have been a very real risk that he would have been attacked or killed on a journey like that. And more than that, verse 27, we can see he's had some sort of serious illness. Again, conditions on travel might not have been great. Conditions in the community that he was living in might not have been great. Maybe it was something he contracted on the way uh, or something that he got when we got there. We don't know. But however he got it, it seems to have been very serious. He almost died, but verse 30, he kept working. And that's it. That's all we know about Epaphroditus, just that. And yet, look at verse 25. How does Paul describe him? A brother, a co-worker. a fellow soldier. More than that, verse 27, Paul says that when God decided Epaphroditus wouldn't die of his illness, that was mercy, not just to Epaphroditus, but also to Paul. Because if Epaphroditus had died, says Paul, that would have been sorrow upon sorrow for Paul. Paul cares deeply about this man. And if you believe, like I do, that the Bible is God's word, and if you believe that the Bible gives you everything you need to know, well, then you agree with me. Epaphroditus might have given some excellent speeches. Epaphroditus might have done mighty deeds. But we don't need to know. Because if we needed to know, the Bible would have told us. And therefore, we must conclude that whatever we're meant to learn from this is right there. Epaphroditus did some sort of church work, even when it hurt him, and Paul cares very deeply about him. That's all the Bible tells us. So that's all we need to know. And this is where the attitude that Paul had, the attitude that Paul wants us to have, is completely different to how the world expects us to behave. Our instinct is to look at Paul, look at the places he went, look at the things he did, think of him as the star, and think of someone like Epaphroditus as less. Think of what Epaphroditus did as less. But no, says Paul, Epaphroditus did God's work. And therefore, Epaphroditus was a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier. So let's face the uncomfortable truth, shall we? I said earlier on that we have these examples not just in movies, but in all walks of life. Okay, We also have those examples in church. We can't deny it. We shouldn't deny it. All too often, we still think, even in a church context, that there are some stars and there's the rest. And we still think of the rest and of what they do as being less. Now, probably every single one of us has a different view of who the stars are. Maybe for us it's the preachers, or maybe for us it's the home group leaders, or the youth and children's team, or the musicians, or the people who always remember to come and speak to us after the service. And let's be totally clear, every single one of those is a good gift. Every single one of those is service to God. And it's right that we should acknowledge and be grateful that God has given us those things in our congregation. But let's also be clear that those acts of service and those gifts and those people aren't better than running the sound desk, putting the chairs out, making the tea, driving the minibus. We need all of those gifts. We need people willing to serve in all of those roles. Otherwise, the church doesn't work. A few years before the letter that he wrote to um, the church in Philippi, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And there he used the picture of a body. Different parts of the body, all different from each other, but all working together in harmony. You need them all. God has placed the parts in the body just as he wanted them to be. God has placed people and gifts in the church just as he wants them to be. And who are we to tell God that he got it wrong? Who are we to tell God that he's given us the wrong part? Who are we to tell God that that's less? We don't actually need that. So that's all fine in theory, but let's get practical. Two things I'd like you to think about, and myself, by the way, Uh, I'm not immune. So firstly, let's not shortchange the people who do the jobs that are less obvious. There's an immense amount that goes into staging our services, our groups during the week, and a lot of those jobs go unseen. Let's challenge the attitude in ourselves that says that it's the visible jobs that are worth more. We're really, really good here, and I thank God for it, at encouraging people who preach. I often hear from people after I've spoken at a service And every single time, I'm so grateful. I'm sure that all of the preaching team would tell you the same thing. I'm sure that some of the service leaders, maybe some of the musicians, would tell you the same. It's so encouraging to hear from people afterwards. But I wonder if the people who bring the prayers would tell you the same. I wonder if the people who bring the reading or run the laptop that puts these slides on the overhead projector. Or who help out at T and Tots or T and Tinies. Those people are doing God's work too. They're taking time to prepare. They're working to do their best as service to Him. They are parts of this body. If they stop working, the body is incomplete. So, first application let's honour them. Let's share some of that encouragement, not just with the people in the visible roles, but with all of the people who work in the church. Second, let's be honest with ourselves. If this is an attitude that is creeping into us, if it's creeping into our attitude to church work, is it affecting what we're willing to volunteer to do? When we're thinking about ways that we can serve, is there any part of us that feels like some of those jobs are just a little bit beneath us? That some of those jobs just don't quite get enough attention? to be worth having to arrive early or to be worth having to put that effort in. Or maybe, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe we don't feel like we're the stars. Maybe we don't feel like we have anything to offer because that's for those people, they're special. No. God's made you a part of his body in this church. You have a role to play. So let's confront those thoughts and attitudes in ourselves, because all church work is important. And the good news is, if we do offer ourselves in that way, it's pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God to do his work, and also, it's going to bring us joy. As we saw illustrated here, there are four people in this morning's passage. There's Paul and Timothy, Epaphroditus, and the Philippian church as a group, and it just jumps off the page, how deep their bonds are. And as a result, how much joy they bring each other in their interactions. I already mentioned, verse 25, Paul describes Epaphroditus as his brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. In verse 22, Paul speaks of Timothy as being a son to him, following uh, following into his dad's profession. Those are the closest relationships, that two men would have. Those are the closest relationships other than marriage that anyone can have. Family. All the common purpose and camaraderie of soldiers in the field together, or two members of a team working together in a field or on a project. All the closeness and understanding of family, father and son, parent and child, siblings. Those are the relationships that Paul's describing. And why? Well, again, If we were meant to get a long list of personality traits, if we were meant to be told that Timothy was a dab hand with a joke, then we would have been told. But what are we told? Verse 22, Timothy has served faithfully with Paul in the work of the gospel. And as we've said before, so has Epaphroditus. Working together for the gospel, serving God together, has given them these incredibly close connections. And it's not just them. Look at verses 25 and 26. Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi because he misses not his family, not his friends, not the food, not the scenery. He misses his church. He longs for his fellow believers back in Philippi. In fact, he cares so deeply about them that when he realizes they will be worried about him because they've heard he's been ill he becomes distressed. And even though he knows that Paul's writing them a letter which will say, by the way, Epaphroditus is fine, he still needs to see them. Maybe a couple of years ago, some of us might have found that harder to relate to. But I'm willing to bet that after the lockdown restrictions of the last 18 months or so, we all know what it's like to hear about someone who we care deeply about, who's going through a hard time, and how desperate we become to see them when we know we can't. That's the longing that Paul's describing here. That's the strength of the bond between the Philippian church and Epaphroditus. He knows, now that they know he's been ill, that they will want to see him. And so he can't relax. He can't be happy until he can't. But when he arrives home, verse 28, they'll be glad to see him. He will be welcomed in with great joy. Why is that bond so close between Epaphroditus and the church that sent him out? It's all there, right? It's all there. Not just Epaphroditus, between Paul and that church as well. Verse 19, he's sending Timothy to see them. That's where we come in in the passage. Why? So that when Timothy brings back news from them and all the progress they've been making, Paul will be cheered. Every relationship of every believer to the others in this passage seems to be a deep bond and one of great joy when they hear of things going well for people. And it's our last relationship that tells us why that is. Why is Paul sending Timothy to see the church in Philippi, verse 20? Because Timothy will show genuine concern for their welfare. So Timothy will also have this strong bond with the church in the way that Paul does. And that's why Paul wants to send him to the church that he loves so much. And why is that? Well, verse 21, everybody else looks out for their own interests. But Timothy has a particular heart for past... No, sorry. Everyone else looks out for their own interests, but Timothy's just this really kind... No, sorry, it's it's not that either. Paul says that Timothy will show genuine concern for this church's welfare because he looks out for the interests of Jesus Christ. Timothy has put God's priorities first. And that means that Timothy will genuinely care about other believers. That's all. It's that simple. Timothy's not special. This is not a particular gift that Timothy has. He has just put Christ's priorities first. And in this, Paul's bringing us back to the beginning of chapter 2, where he laid out the mind of Christ for us. In verse 3... Paul told us to value others above ourselves. And in verse 4, to look to the interests of others above our own interests. In other words, says Paul in verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did. And if we adopt that attitude, well then we're copying the man who, verse 7, took the very nature of a servant. if you are a Christian, if you've accepted what God has done for you, then the rest of your life becomes a process of becoming or trying to become more and more like Jesus. Those two things that we've been thinking about this morning are closely related parts of that process. It's care for God's people that in the end underlies all of these relationships that we've been looking at. It's care for God's people that in the end underlies church work, gospel work. As you follow Jesus, you will care more about his people. And the more you care about them, the more you promote their interests ahead of your own, the more you'll naturally want to do work, church work. It feeds itself. And let's be clear, there are plenty of times in your life when you might need to pull back a little bit on how much you're serving. And that's fine. We have a prime example of it in this passage Paul sent Epaphroditus back to Philippi. Why? Because Epaphroditus' mental health was suffering. He needed a break from service. That's okay. If we're serving out of genuine care for Jesus' people, we'll be back. And as you serve alongside God's people, as you work with them, as you fight side by side with them, that care and that bond will grow. And as it grows, as we've seen, so too will your joy. When you can help a fellow believer out of their suffering, like Paul sending Epaphroditus home, it will bring you that joy that we've seen it brought Paul. When you recognize people's work as service to God, like Philippi welcoming him back, it will bring you the joy that the passage talks about. And when you see your fellow believers growing and strengthening in their faith, when you see the people you're serving becoming more and more like Jesus as the Spirit does his work, like Paul with Timothy and Epaphroditus, like Paul with the church at Philippi, that will bring you joy too. Let's pray as we finish. Father, we thank you so much uh, for the privilege of serving you. We thank you that anything that we can do can even register um, for you. We thank you that it pleases you so much. And we pray that we would have the right attitude um, towards our service. We pray that we'd examine that in ourselves, that we would honour all those who are serving. And we thank you too um, for the relationships that we build within your church uh, with our fellow believers. We thank you for the joy that it brings us. And that it's a foretaste of uh, what waits for us when we're surrounded by God's people. Amen.